0: huskies warming house podcast is also brought to you by the SodaPod, home of mncaa college hockey news and more stay wild and up to date with new episodes throughout every week find them on apple podcasts youtube and other podcast platforms to the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode 170 here in the Den, the middle of July, recording on Saturday night, July 15th, show of course coming out on Monday, July 17th, Nick Max and Noah Grant here in the Den to bring you the latest and greatest in the college hockey world and beyond, and Nick, I... Kind of an interesting show here. We have a lot of NCHC tidbits, of course, that we're going to touch into. Uh, Arizona State, the big news for them, uh, them entering the conference after this season, and of course our NCHC preview for the number seven team that we predict in the conference this upcoming season. We won't divulge who that is until we get to that point. Uh, women's hockey note that we have to touch on a trio of Huskies, former Huskies now playing on the same team over in Europe. So that's really exciting. And of course, we're going to open the show with some, uh, rather somber news related to, uh, one of our former, uh, quote unquote employers or however you would advisors. Yeah, exactly. Okay. How, how how you would describe that in a radio station at KBSC, some really difficult news that came out uh, just the other day from the time of recording. So without further ado, we start with Center Ice View News and Notes, presented to you by the Huskies Illustrated.com website and The Soda pod. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. into the main portion of the show Nick Max and Noah Grant here for episode 170 Nick and uh, like I mentioned we start the show off with uh, some news that is uh, really a uh, just disheartening to hear. Uh, It's something that I think caught a lot of us by surprise uh, and a colleague that we knew very well from our time at KVSC and a lot of former KVSCers at St. Cloud State University uh, that have worked for that radio station or even been on the TV side and had some capacity where they've interacted with KVSC. It's likely they crossed paths with Joe McMullen-Boyer who passed away uh, at 54 years of age. Of course, Joe, uh 31 years in her position, KBSC station manager, retiring in April after, like I said, 31 years at that post, uh, just recently awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award at the annual Ampers meeting this past June. So uh, just days before, actually, and uh, formerly a student. Uh, at St. Cloud State, starting in 1988, uh, splicing and real to reel recordings, which is a throwback phrase if you know anything about <laughs> uh, radio and what they do down there. And uh, graduate in 1991, and a year later, she was in her position that she held until this past April. Uh, and, of course, KVSC, for those who don't remember, was a single FM station and then essentially expanded to the eight stations that we currently have, especially some streaming options as well, podcasting, um, web presence for them as well their website and kind of the various things they do and really when i think of joe mcmullen boyer i think of trivia weekend right and how that uh, entire yes. process has grown and uh what an amazing event in a weekend that trivia weekend i mean she had such a passion for it and obviously i you know was a straight shooter you always kind of knew where you stood with her when it came to uh, topics related to anything kvsc but of course uh, the heart and soul of that organization for the longest time really had a passion for what she did and Nick, you and I, of course, knew her personally, and uh, just some news that was really difficult to hear.
1: It really was, Noah. There's, you know, there's no anything that can prepare you for such news. Again, uh, seems sudden. Didn't seem, you know, at least from anything that just came out of nowhere. I think that's what caught me by surprise. Was uh, first uh, saw the news from uh, another former KVSC, another. Guest of the show here from Sid Wolf, who uh, also spent uh, a lot more time down in the yeah. studios than shall we say you and I did. But, uh, you know, it's still very disheartening uh, to hear from it. She was a big part of, uh, I know, my training and my development with KVSC uh, for my two seasons that I did with Husky Hockey on the radio. Uh, one with A.J. Fredrickson and then, of course, uh, splitting time both with you and as well as uh, uh, Andrew as well uh, going there for up and the radio waves to cover both men's and women's hockey so this is tough uh, uh, you mentioned straight shooter uh i also would throw into the fact just positive i mean yeah you know along with her being honest there was a positivity about it where it wasn't you know she she meant good by just giving it to you straight right it was yeah. you know i'm trying to help you but i'm also not going to sugarcoat it for you kind of thing um very very keen and you know and i think personal story before you and I actually was our first ever broadcast when we uh uh, shall we say we did a uh shall maybe a little bit longer of a pregame than uh we probably A intended for sure. Uh to you know just sort of just that's the way it happened. And I just remember Joe uh you know kind of pulling us to the side before the next game and says hey you can't do that again. That was a bit long but um yeah you know. apparently 32 minutes was outstaying our welcome i guess so <laughs> <Whoops>. <laughs> but uh yeah i mean but that's 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 how she was though she's like hey that was too long and she goes it was really good the content was good but she goes it was it was too long got to cut it down kind of thing so uh so she was always there like you said uh backbone the, the heart and soul of of uh, and just really somber news and wishing nothing but uh, thoughts to her, her friends, her her family, especially during this most difficult time, and everybody at KVSC as well.
0: Yeah, I think Sid Wolf was actually our board op that night, and they she wanted to kind of exactly. highlight our board operators a little bit more too, which made sense, and uh, Hans Bristol, of course, the other one that was with us that season as well too on the men's <laughs> side. But, uh, yeah, and I think that when, when I think of Joe too, I mean, to be totally honest, um, you know, and especially this – it feels like you know, four years ago or whatever. It's been almost five now. Uh, I mean, I don't know that I particularly saw it eye to eye with her on a, you know, on a majority of topics, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's not like her and I were kind of buddy-buddy, so to speak. But like you said, that tough love and that honest opinion was something that you could always respect you always knew you know what you were getting and you know it was going to be the honest opinion like you just mentioned and uh, again even with that being said her interactions with us and myself especially very cordial and very positive too like you mentioned just because we didn't see things necessarily the same didn't mean that she wasn't willing to talk about it and she would even support some of those aspects that she did believe in that she thought were you know the same value as well too so uh, wishing her family and all those around her. Uh, during this difficult time the best because, uh, yeah, we were pretty stunned by the news. And uh, as former KBS Seers, like a lot of KBS Seers that have come before us and have come after us, just really difficult news to hear. Um, moving on to some more positive news, though, before we get to some NCHC stuff, women's hockey. Like we mentioned, a trio of former Huskies uh, headed to Germany. Hannah Bates, uh, formerly of the Connecticut Whale and the NWHL, joining Laura Kluga, who is uh, a German herself, uh, back in her native homeland, and McKenna Westlow headed over to play for the same team. I'm going to butcher this. I already know this, Nick. Uh, ECDC Memigant Indians Froen, um there, and uh, it's Frauen Bundesliga is the name of the league out there. So, um, the fourth addition to that team, three of them, of course, playing in the US for the Huskies at some point. So, um, mid August is kind of the arrival time. Uh, and then they're going to get their uh, training underway and get on the ice. And then Uh, get ready for their upcoming season so a trio of Huskies over there in Europe one of them probably a little more at home than uh, the Michigan native and Hannah Bates and then of course McKenna Westlow uh, as well but the three of them just really awesome to see you know women's hockey we've talked about the growth of the NWHL uh, and kind of the chaos with the PHF as well but um, right now expanding the game on the women's side in Europe it's it's kind of a cool experience and what a great experience to head overseas and play some hockey.
1: Well, not only that, but to do it with two former teammates and, you know, have a connection with St. Cloud and, You know, uh, another little tidbit too here, Noah, is that Svenja Volk, also a German native herself, uh, her with Laura Kluga also going to the German World Junior Camp as well. So they'll be participating. So another little tidbit for women's hockey there too. Uh, But back to your original point, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's always tough, especially for U.S.-born players, when you feel like you still want to play hockey, you still feel like you have talent, you have a desire to play, and for whatever reason – that there is, you you're just not getting that opportunity here in the States and uh, Europe is probably option number two, especially now with all things geopolitical that's at stake. I think I say that, you know, pretty, pretty well, um, yeah. but it's still not an easy jump, right? Going across the Atlantic ocean, uh, despite the fact that you're playing the game that you love, you've been playing it for probably 20 plus years uh, to be able to have that camaraderie, to have that familiarity, I think, you know, along with to former Huskies can make that transition a bit easier to, you know, and also kind of feel more like at home uh, as, you know, we always talk about the game on the ice, but I, I think, you know, we always sometimes forget about the teammates who And the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the players that you play with and uh, no, no question, a really cool opportunity for those three to play together and to, to get some pro level experience overseas. So that's very cool.
0: Yeah. And knowing that you're in Germany with a former teammate who of course, knows germany like the back of her hand Uh, i think that makes a difference as well too to kind of assimilate uh when you're headed overseas to europe so like you mentioned wishing the three of them and then of course venia vote as well uh for that camp as well Uh, wishing all of them the best, former Huskies uh, carrying on the legacy and really uh, building that program up that we've talked about so much. Of course, our next WCHA preview, the number six team for the WCHA coming out next week that will be facing off against our current St. Cloud State Huskies this upcoming season. On the men's side, facing the Huskies not this year, but the start of next season, 2024-2025, Arizona State University becomes the ninth team in NCHC conference history to join the conference. And yeah, I mean, this I don't know if the process was started long before the original announcement that we discussed a couple of weeks ago. But um, for those of you who didn't figure it out, we had uh, our our original topic from last week was slightly pre-recorded. So uh, we didn't get a chance to cover Arizona State last week. And we're, of course, circling back to it this week. But it was a fast process from the announcement of the petition for the second time around to bada boom, bada bing. The NCHG made it, signed, sealed, and delivered, and official. Um, were you surprised at all by the speed that it that it took? Did we feel like that was going to be a more long, drawn-out process? Or is Arizona State just makes sense for us now on a variety of levels? And regardless, it doesn't really matter because the Sun Devils are coming to the
1: conference. Well, two things. Uh, the facade would make it appear that this was a quick process, but this probably started back in 2017, honestly, when Arizona State and uh, Minnesota State Mankato originally posted applications. Both were uh, subsequently denied. Uh, Back then, the league didn't want to uh, to expand at that point, but it's more of just the league spending. Let's remember what Arizona state was at that time, right? They were a brand new division one team. They were playing in a rink that was similar to what St. Thomas is playing in right now. It was essentially a, what do you call it? A city civic rink. Um, let's say a lot's changed since then. Uh, hey, Arizona it might, state. it might be an NHL barn in some places. It's uh, well, (laughs) depending on when you ask me that question, uh, when uh, the most, you know, listening, it it may not be one who knows Uh, (laughs) it will be one this season, at least that we know of bar (laughs) anything extreme, but, uh, right. Yes. A brand new Billy Mullet arena. It's absolutely gorgeous. Again, it's got all the uh, bells and whistles. Uh, and more importantly, no, it's got, you know, the backing of money, Arizona state, again, a large division one full school. So money isn't an issue. Uh, number two, again, that's a fully broadcast capable, uh, arena which is something the NCHC is looking for um, we talk about NCHC TV, the fans talk about NCHC TV um, this is what that essentially that the conference wants And Arizona State they've been competitive they've been a ranked opponent uh, so it makes sense and honestly let's take about it from two sides right for Arizona State this is something that they've been looking for they're looking for stability to do that you have to be in a conference right haven't had it they've been an independent and let's look at the shall we say the tumultuous ride for the teams such as Alabama Huntsville to Alaska schools that have not been in in a sort of conference and how tough it's been for them to a stay competitive and to, to try to, Essentially, maintain the health of their sports teams. It's not easy, so this provides stability for both sides. Um, it also captures a large market for the NCHC. Notice how I said large market. I know Arizona is the fourth largest TV market, I believe, in the U.S. So this has a, it's a happy marriage per se. And I think the other part, Noah, that I, I think you were insinuating, but we haven't quite touched on it is there was some backlash back in March when the possibility of this really came for the forefront. I believe it was uh, Brad Schlossman from uh, the Grand Forks Hill The first report that Miami's um, athletic director was not happy with the potential yeah. of them coming over to the NCHC. Mind you, Everybody in the conference voted in favor, 8 to nothing. It was a unanimous decision to allow Arizona State to enter the league. And the timing actually makes sense. Because if you remember, yeah. the NCHC schedule is ratified essentially in December slash January. Essentially during the holiday break for the upcoming season. So they needed this to come out and to be public. So that way they could start working on the schedule. We'll probably talk a little bit more details on that later. But it made sense. It really wasn't as fast as it seems at the end of it. This has been going on in the works for years, and we're finally at that point where it made sense for both teams and the NCHC to come together. Yeah. And
0: you look at uh, Miami, we talked about them, right? A 208 winning percentage for them uh, in the last three seasons, one in 13 in postseason play. They haven't won a playoff series since 2015. And, um, you know, articles speculative otherwise, again, not sure how much of this truly is you know, accurate, obviously, as we go through it, too. I mean, we don't really know what's going on behind closed doors. Reports of the current staff, you know, feeling like the NCHC might not be the right fit. CCHA or something else might be better. Let's not forget, by the way, we talked about uh, the exit fee is over a million dollars to leave the NCHC as well. So, I mean, that's something to consider for Miami, too. But, I mean, I think the vote kind of tells you where they're at for the time being. I think Miami, first of all, they got to get through this season. Um, I mean, that's just what's going to happen. The NCHC will carry eight teams like it has um, since its inception, at least for this year, and then I, I kind of wonder if they're maybe just going to feel out what Arizona State maybe looks like as far as their scheduling for maybe a
1: season or two before they even think about that. Maybe at That's this point, fair. I mean, it, here's my here's my thing, Noah. off, yeah. But why would they give a shit? I mean, yeah. honestly, and, and I've I've made this argument before, but I don't think necessarily the grass is greener on the other side for Miami. Um, I would almost argue that the NCHC is helping Miami keep afloat. I mean, let's yeah. not remember or let's not forget, I should say that if you pay, first of all, an exuberant amount of money, which we don't have the exact figure, but estimates are over a million dollars um, to get out of the NCHC. Not only do you have to do that, but then you have to, with then try to convince another conference to join and then pay an entrance fee on top of that. So you're talking, if we're just going to say all parts be equal, a possible $2 million move to try to put them into a different league. To me, it just doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense for me. Uh, I, I know the additional travel potentially is an issue there. It sounds like the NCHC has, at least on the surface level, addressed some of that with some of the scheduling things that we'll probably hit on later. But I just don't buy it. I, I think Miami uh, really just kind of overlooked the whole thing. Uh, and at the end of the day, um, you know, they got going to worry about themselves. I mean, again, and I, I just don't think that them leaving the NCHC is actually any better for them. I would actually think it would be more detrimental to their organization than it would be to stay.
0: Yeah, would agree. And, of course, they have an opponent to look forward to, as they have since the inception of the NCHC. This one might catch people a little bit by surprise here, Nick. Uh, coming in at number seven this season for our prediction, the Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs. Don't forget, of course, as you're going to allude to, they finished fifth in the conference last year. Some might call this a bit of a reach from us, uh, but we're going to dive into our thoughts regardless. Nick, uh, what do you have on the Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs?
1: Yeah, no. So when we do these previews, and again, this is probably the most fun thing that we do is we, we kind of do a deep dive, right? Uh, we want to understand where they were, especially last year, uh, who's coming in, who is leaving, uh, maybe some key stats, both as a team and as, as individuals. And what do we project, right? I think that's the big thing. What we we try to understand is based on what we see, where they're at currently, You know, where can we reasonably expect them to be in? We have them seventh, which... I mean that's weird to say honestly Noah yeah. your reaction I just want I just want to get your thoughts on having the bulldogs and again maybe we should preface this we hope we're wrong I mean we yeah. probably will be wrong but I can't ever imagine in my brain that this ever would make sense to have the Bulldogs potentially be in this low in the conference.
0: Well, for a while there was same story last year with North Dakota sitting in this particular spot right. for the majority of the season until uh, they actually ended up tying with Duluth, but getting the sixth place spot because of a couple tiebreakers and then CC of course was seventh. But I, uh, yeah, you know, my reaction is one thing I'd like to see what Max Veach has to say about all of this, but um, <laughs> I, I, I don't, you you kind of feel like at some point, though, there's a, a point where the ebb and flow just kind of valleys a little bit here. And I think for Scott Sandlin and his program, obviously he's done such a masterful job and we've used this kind of uh, – uh, um, alluding to before, but we've talked about how he's able to almost even when he's blindfolded with one hand behind his back and a puzzle in front of him, somehow piece enough of the pieces together to make some magic happen and give a good postseason push and, and make some noise when it matters most. He gets his team prepared for the right time of the season, regardless of seating. But yeah, seventh place would be an interesting spot for them. And I know that you and I, of course, when, um, for those who haven't figured this out, we do have, our lineup entirely figured out for our NCHC previews here. And we went back and forth on this quite a bit and where we thought that Duluth was going to be. And after some of the conversations that we had before this, and of course, as we're going to go through right now, there's just some things with some of the departures, uh, you know, some of the transfers and and the youthfulness of this team. uh, And of course, just kind of the slightly rocky road they had over the past season that just makes you kind of wonder if uh,
1: the tugboat is starting to lose steam, at least for the upcoming season. So let's talk about last year, right? Noah, uh, 16, one overall. Uh, They were 10 and 14 in the NCHC. Uh, The big thing that stuck out to me was on the road. They were not good. Six, 11 and one on the road, Uh, five, four and one and non-conference, which I mean the majority of those games, in fact, eight of the 10 are happening before they play even one NCHC regular season game. Um, Some other notables there, Noah, first of all, uh, sometimes we talk about it. I know Brett Larson for St. Cloud talks about how a tough schedule to start can really set the tone. It gets you battle ready. And for whatever reason, uh, Duluth came out of the non-conference four and four. They weren't necessarily alarm bells per se, but they also were with some of the results that they had.
0: Yeah, it certainly was. And as you saw the season progress, of course, uh, you know, that big loss to the aforementioned Miami 4-1 to when they needed crucial points and a sweep on that weekend. Interestingly enough, and you have it in your notes here, Nick, 10-14 and 14 in the NCHC, 3-1 and against St. Cloud State in the regular season, speaking to almost a third of their victories came against the Huskies. So you want to talk about that rivalry that's continued to battle its way through, of course, losing 2-1 to in that first round against St. Cloud. But uh, uh, in the NCHC frozen Faceoff, But, yeah, it was a weird year, and I know speaking about Max Veach and some of the work we did with MNCAA, he talked about it and you know was pretty honest about it that last year's team just didn't have the extra firepower and the extra ability. One of the staples of Scott Sandlin's structure as well too was being able to play a sound defensive game and letting – the games below scoring and trusting the process and working your way out of it and kind of having some clutch hockey down the stretch late in hockey games, you just didn't really see that. You didn't see the ability to hang on and the ability to close or at least kind of control the pace that we've seen in years past for Duluth. And it wasn't until maybe the tail end of the regular season where they kind of started to really get hot again, Um, which I mean, shocker, right? I mean, that's just right. kind of what they do. But again, we talked about that Miami loss which was just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it was just kind of this up and down valley and not a lot of consistency for Duluth um, really, actually them in St Cloud had a similar second half as well too in the in uh, the regular season and that kind of explains why a lot of these teams including North Dakota as well were in similar situations as far as the standings were concerned. but yeah, the the Bulldogs last year just characteristically poor on the penalty kill characteristically just not special teams wise and defensively where we would have anticipated And on top of that, some of their, young freshmen coming in and some of their scores that were contributors or had some bright spots on this lineup are no longer there for a variety of reasons as far as transferring out. So it's an interesting time in Duluth and I'm very curious to see how they handle it.
1: Right. Uh, They ended up missing. The frozen faceoff. Uh, first time they've missed it since 2015. Uh, they've only missed it three times. Uh, so the first two years of the NSAT 14, 15, and then obviously 2020 was canceled. And mind you, they won the frozen faceoff three times 17, 19, and 22. So again, we talk about how this really was an odd year for them. They literally swept the frozen faceoff in 22 without giving up a single goal, thanks to uh, yeah. shall we say, a pretty good goal. It's her name of Ryan Fanti. Uh, just it shows you how, shall we say, the the volatility of college hockey can be with whether yeah. uh, players are signing pro contracts, they tra uh, they transfer in and out. It's it's a new like you said, it's a new puzzle every single year. And talk uh, about just randomly that 2019 game against St. Cloud, one of the best yeah, hockey yeah. games. Yeah. Yeah, just unbelievable hockey game. Uh, I know that uh, a good friend of ours, uh, two friends of ours, both uh, CBS broadcasters, Ben Holden, as well as Dave Starman, talked about how that game uh, probably ranks in the top five, if not top three of college hockey games I've ever been a part of. And certainly I was in attendance. I think you were as well, um, or at least watching That was one hell of a hockey game. And unfortunate that at least for St. Cloud, good for UMD, an overtime winner to seal that one again in 2019. Hell of a hockey game. Uh, We mentioned Scott Salem before. No, let's talk about him a little bit more because he's going into his 24th season as head coach to get hired in March of 2000. Um, He's had rumors being linked to potential NHL jobs. Yeah, he sticks around. I mean, tell us a little bit more about uh, the coach that A, off the ice, hilarious guy. Yeah. Absolutely hilarious, but in the locker room, demands a lot from his players, straight shooter, uh, and again, if there's anything that he preaches, is the effort, and as long as that's there, he's willing to teach, but it's when you get lazy, it's when you don't follow his structure or his X's and O's, uh, that's where, shall we say, Scott Sandlin can uh, start to shuffle uh, your ice time a little bit.
0: Yeah, demands a lot of his coaching staff, too. Adam Krause, Cody Chopp, and Brant Nicklin all bringing... Uh- Variety of skill sets to the table, and we'll touch on them briefly as well too. But 24 season, long standing in college hockey, it's not often you hear that type of tenure. uh And if it is, like you talked about, some NHL jobs and clubs, or at least professional gigs above college hockey, have definitely come calling. There's no doubt about that. And he hasn't taken a bite at them yet. Hired back, of course, in 2000. Uh, will probably approach at some point this season his 450th win. He has lost 368 and, of course, 96 overtime finishes, 12 NCAA tournament appearances, three titles, of course, in 2011, 18, and 19, two-time USCHO Coach of the Year in 2004 and 2018, uh, and also brings a pedigree of seven Spencer Penrose nominations, one of those winning Coach of the Year, of course, back in 2004. Uh, Yeah, and we talked about his skill set, to. Um, You know, you don't have that kind of longevity as a coach without being able to, like we talked about, take a different puzzle every year and put it together. That's kind of the skill set that some of these coaches, uh, you throw Brett Larson, uh, of course, uh, a former student, so to speak, if you want to throw it that way of Scott Sandelin that's the effectiveness that he brings to the table is not every puzzle looks the same every year for that Duluth Bulldogs program. And yes, they've had some ups and downs, but he's largely made them competitive throughout most of the years. And even seasons where they haven't necessarily been Totally competitive. I think to the previous year, like you mentioned, when they swept the frozen faceoff without allowing a goal, they weren't exactly a team that was a powerhouse by any means. Entering the postseason and still finding a way to be efficient at the right time. Uh, so yeah, I mean his ability is just bar none in terms of his coaching ability top three i would say in college hockey at the division one level right now just what he brings and his ability uh as a coach and then of course surrounded by a great staff and i think that uh, as much praise as we give scott sandal and the coaching staff and his selection makes a big difference too because that can be kind of a revolving carousel at times with guys of course leaving taking opportunities think for example nick oliver going to the fargo force from st cloud and now over to wisconsin a jump that a lot of us maybe didn't necessarily anticipate Uh, adam kraus of course uh, former Bulldog himself back in 2018 uh, as the associate head coach, uh, kind of earning his opportunity, 37 points and 133 games for him. Um, Cody Chupp as the assistant coach uh, spent a lot of time in the USHL with Muskegon and Lincoln as well too. Green Bay um, and a lot of professional player development for him and then the volunteer Uh, assistant coach, uh, the former net miner, Brant Nickland, in the late 90s uh, playing for the Duluth Bulldogs as well. So surrounding himself with a coaching staff that really brings a lot to the table and really has the specialties on the forward side, the defensive side, and the net mining side as well too. Uh, Nick, I'm curious to know your thoughts on this coaching staff. Of course, you've had some time to really speak to Scott Sandlin and really pick his brain. And uh, um, I was going to say, you know, pick his sense of humor, but he definitely likes to throw it back at you all the same. He does.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, if there's one thing that I think hallmark of a of a good coach, right, and I think you and I could, you know, sort of mirror this with Brett Larson, right, is when it's game time, it's game time. But when it's not, there is there's a level of human to them, too. Right. And I think for Scott Sandlin, who does have a great sense of humor, uh, who can kind of keep things light, but more importantly, keep things in perspective. Right. Um, I remember asking him, I think it was a year or two ago um, about being in the national championship game and his message to his squad before the game. And he goes, well, we're going home tomorrow. Yeah, you know, just it's another game he's and he his exact quote was, you know, it's the easiest game to coach of the year because, you know, no matter what happens, you're going home and everything's going to be fine. Right. So he just has this very calm, especially in the bench, just very just nothing really seems to sway him. And he talks about how, you know, the players feed off of you know, his emotions uh, and more so how he wants the players themselves to really be the ones that manage the bench and manage their emotions and manage the game. Right. Um, I think it's a big part of why he had such a really good run, especially what 2016 and again, all the way through 2019, 2020, again, two national championships back to back, albeit in 18 and 19 respectively. Because again, if you're relying on the coach to be able to, See the ice and be able to say, "Hey, they're doing this. We need to adjust." You're already a step behind, right? And the fact that he puts the power he uh, into the players' hands to be able to manage the game, but also to be like, "Hey, yeah, it was a bad penalty. It's like we're fine." You know, yeah. uh, I just think that he, the way the the way that he coaches um, a lot of other uh, division one coaches could take a page out of just because I think, yeah. not only you know, is he just situationally good at adjusting the more so the, this the way that he handles himself emotionally too, both in the locker room as well as on the bench. Um, I think it really transcribes to that success on the ice and he just has, it's an art form. It yeah. really, really is. And he has penned, uh, it's just a pretty picture when he does that.
0: Yeah. I think the one game that really stands out to me in recent memory is the five OT game, right. And, uh, You know, the NCAA is against North Dakota where Luke Milmok scores the game winner and uh, who, of course, I believe is now headed to Niagara with his brother, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But when I think of that game and talking about, you know, the quotes that he had out of it, that was a game where Duluth was largely outplayed and they were... On the road, quote unquote, of course, in a hostile building there down in Fargo, but uh, talking about the emotional plane, just kind of keeping those guys even keel and saying, just stick with the process. We're all right. It's going to be what it's going to be. You know, I mean, the chips are going to fall where they're going to fall, but understanding that even when there were moments where they were uh, getting flat out outplayed, able to keep that emotional regulation and just say, guys, you know, what? puck hasn't crossed the goal line yet. We're okay. We're okay. Stick with the process, stick with the process. We're going to get our opportunity. And they ended up doing it. I mean, we talk about that goal too. I mean, that's a goal that any goaltender wants to have back. I mean, it was not a glitzy glamorous goal by any mean, but a puck on net five overtimes in good things happen when you shoot the puck. Right. And I think sticking with that message, there's a reason why he's been coaching for almost 25 years in college hockey.
1: Uh, Noah, let's finish up, uh, especially with Scott Sandlin here. And, and I, I just want to get a prediction from you. Again, 24 years at a college Division One program. There's been multiple off seasons where um, multiple outlets have had him linked to potential NHL jobs. Now, whether that is head coach or assistant coach, whatever it is, um, do you think he eventually takes one of these jobs? Or does do you feel like he's a bulldog for life guy?
0: I think he's a bulldog for life guy. I just, I I think he's so ingrained in that program. I think the only thing that would change that in my mind, um, unless he got offered a really big bag of dough and a really good opportunity, which not to say NHL gigs aren't good opportunities, but we've seen coaches in the national hockey league make that or in college hockey, make that jump to the NHL. And then it just doesn't pan out or doesn't seem like uh, it's the right fit necessarily, or it takes them a second crack a la Dave Haxtell before you really kind of find your niche, so to speak. Um, The only other way I could see that happen where he wouldn't be a a bulldog lifer, so to speak, uh, is if they have a stretch where they have about four or five years that are just really tough, where they're they're in like the bottom two in the NCHC, um, you know, and for some reason, the passion maybe just isn't there and they just really start to struggle. But for that, I mean, we've picked. Duluth right now at seventh in the NCHC. That for us that feels like a one-off. That might be a slight reach as it is to think about that becoming the norm in the NCHC. Of course, you're adding an extra team after this season, but nonetheless, yeah, I, I, it's it's hard to fathom. But it's I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Crazier things have happened, and of course, Arizona State has a chance to complicate things as well.
1: Yes, they certainly do. But uh, I think we both would agree. Uh, UMD in pretty good hands uh, yep. at the head of their coaching staff. And again, a wonderful human being. Always love uh, my chats with Scott Salem because again, just great human being. and loves to talk puck and uh, have nothing but the utmost respect to him um, un- until they start playing St. Cloud, but that's okay. Um, moving over to uh, some team stats, right? So one of the things I like to do is break down what I think, Noah, are shall we see some indicators, right? Now, mind you, You know, this is not the analytics department. These don't tell us the whole story, but they maybe do indicate some trends, right? Or maybe just uh, what was the hallmark of last season. Um, I got some things for you, but so I'm going to kind of throw you it to let you kind of run with it. Um, Just some team stats here Uh, goals for and goals against. Uh, There were some, shall we say, some interesting numbers there. And there, uh, I know you mentioned the specialty teams, but we're going to get a little bit more in depth here. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, Let's start with the goals for and goals against. Uh, Some interesting numbers here uh, from both this last season and since seasons past it kind of gave you some perspective
0: yeah certainly was i the trends going in the wrong direction i think is just safe to say it goes for uh, kind of dipping slightly going down from three to 2.6 over the previous couple of seasons so 2.6 as of last year goals against at 3.1 so giving up half a goal more per game than their opponents which uh you say, what is half a goal in statistical margin? It's more than you think in a tightly contested yep. conference like the NCHC um, a couple of years ago, that was down to 2.2. So you're almost a goal against less a couple of years ago when you make a couple of runs to uh, you know, the frozen four national championship games, things like that uh, power play increased last season. One of their strengths that, necessarily hasn't necessarily been a strength of bulldog hockey yes their special teams has been all right but you more of a seat on the defensive side and their power play is generally middling to better than average 25 percent, 29 for 116 fantastic numbers for them last season i mean one of the things that they really leaned on to supplement a struggling pk like we mentioned just under 79 percent last year um The previous year, it was almost 85%, and that's prototypical Bulldog hockey where you're talking top 10 in the country in terms of their penalty kill percentage, and they actually took fewer penalties um, this past season. So uh, all the haters out there, all the official aficionados, a.k.a. Max Veach, I don't know, man, the case is looking pretty thin uh, for that penalty <laughs> kill that really started to struggle, Nick. I mean, is there anything else that kind of stands up for you? We talk so much about special teams, uh, especially for a defensive style that Duluth likes to bring, staying in those 2-1, to 3-2 to hockey games. That can be the difference maker along with great goaltending. It really felt like last season Duluth had not a lot of either.
1: No, and I, I think what I want to do is I want to – Put a couple of numbers in perspective, but in groups, right? Because you talk about last season, again, uh scoring 2.6 goals per game. Uh, But also then, uh sorry, yeah, 2.6. Mind you, a year goes three. So, again, point four is not much of a difference. But here's where it gets interesting, right? This season, they, they scored 2.6. They gave up 3.1. So, you're a minus 0.5, right? Right. Last year, you're scoring three, but you're giving up. Two two 2.2 2. 2. so yeah. you're almost a plus one versus a minus 1.5 so you're almost talking about what a one and a half point switch there um so that does indicate to me like you said that the power play needed something that even strength they were not good uh at even strength numbers again the power play 25 percent uh, that's huge and- right uh,
0: and high danger chances too. They outshot opponents this season by almost 50. And so that yeah. kind of that kind of shows me it's like it's not necessarily that they're not driving possession, but they're not threatening the middle areas of the ice. They're not creating second chance opportunities. One of the prototypical things about Bulldog hockey, uh, kind of similar to St. Cloud, shocking with the coaches, right? Uh, right. But really you want to talk about a team that also emphasizes grease pan goals, heavy hockey, blue-collar, you know, hard nose hockey in front of the crease. That is the loose game, creating second-chance opportunities, tips, rebounds, whatever it is. They just weren't able to execute last season. And as you mentioned, the power play kind of had to carry the weight a little bit to try to
1: pull them back into hockey games. Just really wasn't enough. It really wasn't. And then you talk about the PK, right? Where normally, like I said, it's above 80%. They're normally top 10. This year, 78.6%. That's, um, again, you know, number-wise, it's, what, 6% down? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, that can be a lot. Like I said, sometimes it's not that. It's the margin. Sometimes it's the timeliness and just the, the confidence, right? A lot about it, hockey and, and pro sports, and maybe we don't talk about this enough, Noah, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Sometimes it's about confidence, right? And oh, this yeah. team did not seem to me like I had confidence and even strength. They definitely seemed like they were running around in the PK when normally they're more, mm-hmm. shall I say, sit tight. They'll pressure the points sometimes, uh, but more so kind of they'll pick and choose which teams that they'll try to be aggressive with. They tried this against St. Cloud. Actually, was it two years ago when St. Cloud had to win in Duluth and then take the tie to get in? home ice position. I remember the night number one, they were sort of passive with their PK, and the night number two, they came out and started really pressuring the wings. You have to have confidence in that game plan. I just felt like with the PK, no matter what they tried, they weren't getting the results because they were getting beat in the middle of the ice into that bumper position.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that, of course, all stems with you running around in your defensive zone and even strength. And as you alluded to, this Duluth team last season did not have the ability to close that we've been so accustomed to for Bulldog hockey. couple ones that I want to throw at you two, four, and one in overtime. Uh, also, when out shooting their opponent, Nick, eight, 10 and one, when they are out shooting their opponent, and six and eight when they were out shot. So less than 500 on both of those categories. Eight and seven in one goal contest. Duluth, Generally, probably runs about like a 67% winning percentage in most of those one goal games in years previous. Maybe not quite that high, but a little bit much farther away from just over 500. And, uh, you know, on top of that, too, after the first period and after the second period, respectively, when trailing. 2 12 and 0 and after the second 0 and 15. So, this team that has the ability to hang around in years past just didn't have it. And when they were tied after the first, they were uh barely below 500. Um, if they made it to the final 20 minutes of play, they were all right. But even tie hockey games just were not their forte. I, I'm curious, Nick, and again, I'll throw it back to you. Besides the special teams, even at five on five, I you know. Were you missing that scoring punch from some of those guys that had departed the previous year? Did the freshmen not carry enough that we've been accustomed to? What was it that saw this Duluth team that lost their defensive structure and for the first time in a couple of years really started to kind of get pulled out of position and run around a lot, even at even strength?
1: It's actually the opposite. No, it's their goaltending. It really comes down to their goaltending. Let's not forget the names, right? Ryan Fanti, Hunter Shepard, just to name a couple, right? Um, we're going to talk about individual leaders. This is a perfect segue, right? Their best goaltender was Matt Thiessen. He had 2.64 goals against average yep. and a 905 save percentage. Those are not prototypical numbers of a UMD goaltender that starts the majority of the games in the season. Um, so I, I think, and, and again, Brent Larson and St. Cloud, they, again, they're built from the goaltending out, right? And I think mm-hmm. with UMD, It really starts there, and that's where you see the downfall of the defense where they're not confident in whether it's the goalie's rebound control or whether they're not confident he will make a certain save. So you either you know, kind of get outside your lane a bit. You're going to kind of give up the middle because you're trying to either get a stick on a shot. You're trying to block shots, which, again, UMD does so well normally. Um, I just feel like it was more on the defensive side that limited their offense. Um, and so uh, to me, that's what it was. I don't know. Do you agree with that? Well,
0: definitely. And I think, you know, when you look at Scott Sandlin and his recruiting process, he's big on goaltenders. There's no doubt yeah. about it. And finding guys that when the middle of the box, uh, does give up an opportunity, the goaltender is there to just shrug it aside and kind of frustrate opposing offenses. And of course, with Zach Stasekall and the personal trials that he's gone through as well Too, he had a nine Oh one last season, 22 contests for him. Although I will say. The former Minot Minotaur, Zach Sandy, a win in his only game played uh, and no goals allowed in 20 minutes. So I'm just throwing that out there. It is what it is. (laughs) But, uh, you know, with that being said, I totally agree. They, you know, net mining really instills confidence in your team for a variety of reasons. We talked about the ups and downs we had with David Rennick in St. Cloud for the longest time until he finally found his groove in his fifth year uh, in the second half of the season. And then that team felt unstoppable unstoppable for the majority of that stretch especially down into March and April but yeah goaltending has kind of been an issue for them over the past season and I I mean all three goaltenders I believe uh um returning this season so very curious to see how they're going to handle that process and what the development process is going to look like.
1: So let's talk about those individual leaders, right? We already talked about Thies and uh, Ben Steves. It was the freshman, right? It was the freshman that kind of came out of nowhere um, for first in goals at 21 first in power play goals at 12. So you talk about a guy who was putting the puck in that. He seemed to be the only one pretty well. impressive He's 28. Yeah. Very impressive rookie season. And in fact, we were checking, I think what in January and February, where his rookie point totals was. And then we forgot mm-hmm. that a name by Brett Hall, Um, is still about double that rookie points. So he wasn't even close, but we were getting in that conversation, just how good of a freshman season he was. Uh, Dominic James and Wyatt Kaiser led the team and assisted a team. Luke Lohite was the sole leader in penalties in minutes at 53. Uh, So a couple of things jump out. Uh, one Ben Steeves, who will be returning this year, uh, seems to be their shooter, right? Uh, but another thing here is, too, is they're losing a couple of their setup men in Wyatt Kaiser and Dominic James.
0: Yeah, certainly are. And again, we talked about, uh, I almost feel like as much as we just raved about starting from the goaltending position back and making sure the defensive core is solid, one of the things that I've always kind of, well, I shouldn't say always as we cheer for St. Cloud, but one of the things that if you were a Duluth Bulldog fan and you were looking for something new, to try a little more punch on the offensive side. And I think that not that they haven't had that in years past, but I don't really know that they necessarily um, on the forward side have had a go-to guy or two where you were just like, Like this crap, this guy is unstoppable. Now they've had guys who have had individual seasons who have certainly carried them to new heights, but there really hasn't been a guy. I don't feel like in a couple of years that you've looked and you said from freshman or sophomore year onward through the upperclassman years where it was just, like you said, it was just that other gear where you think, uh, I don't know, a, a random example that comes to mind, like a Jordan Kawaguchi for North Dakota, where it's like by the time he got to his senior season, it was like, you just you didn't want to match up against him. I think maybe the closest comparable actually might be on the defensive side that's got Perunovic and what he brought to the table on the back end. But as far as the forward side, you'd like to see a guy like Steve's continue that offensive punch and just be that force to be reckoned with where no matter who matches up with him, no matter the defensive matchup, if the third-line centerman has him that night, or if it's top line for top line where it's like he just has that other gear that just can't be touched. He's that game-breaker that you give him one or two opportunities a la – a Kirill Kaprizov in Minnesota where you give him one or two looks and one of those boxes ending up in the back of the net.
1: So let's talk about some of those notable departures, right? And I did misspeak. Dominic James is returning. I apologize for that. Um, Noah, why don't you take us through the uh, five uh, players that we'll be leaving for, that are uh, leaving essentially for uh, other opportunities, and one that's going to still be in college hockey, but in a different uniform. Yeah, that
0: one's going to hurt. Well, starting about the guys that uh, we kind of anticipated, uh, Wyatt Kaiser uh, headed to the National Hockey League in the Chicago organization, Jesse Jocks uh, and Derek Dashkey and Tanner Ladderoot all grad players headed to the echl iowa toledo and wheeling respectively uh jesse jocks uh, of course uh contract for next season already but the one that you mentioned that burns michigan state acquiring isaac howard some former coach player connections there uh in the big 10 yeah a freshman that a promising bright future didn't exactly wow the world with his production um and i think when you compare it to ben steves of course it's hard to look you know, eye for an eye necessarily, but a guy that has a lot of upside and potential as he goes through his collegiate career, Nick, they're going to miss uh, that offensive punch. And we talked a little bit about Duluth too. Kind of had this almost surplus of uh, some of these freshmen necessarily that were coming in that were going to, you know, make a difference, and maybe kind of waiting another year on some of these other guys that are now coming in. But it kind of maybe pushed a potential recruiter to away on the freshman side. And on top of that, of course, uh, you had the transfer portal that they dipped into as they do, somewhat every year uh, at least pulling in one or two guys as well but yeah key departures Wyatt Kaiser of course uh, bringing a lot of physicality and a lot of skill and then uh, Derek Dashke, of course uh, graduate transfer I believe from Miami last season yeah. so um, and a former captain for the Red Hawks as well too and then Tanner Latter-root, um, you might remember him for the infamous uh, stick trip that never was if you're a Huskies yeah. hockey fan but uh, yeah. I always I always love the way he played a good hard nosed, 200 foot player uh, on the forward side that they're definitely going to miss. But, yeah, some hopefully some key additions that will make a big difference. And uh, the nice thing about this, um, you know, Elite Prospects is starting to update this. But some of these teams, including Minnesota Duluth, starting to reveal their incoming classes and players that are going to start to make a difference next season.
1: So uh with that being said, let's let's talk about a four incoming freshmen, then two from the transfer portal. Uh Noah, let's fill us in and mind you, this information does come right from UMD's website. They do have the twenty three twenty-four roster posted. And then we're gonna talk about some names that maybe aren't in this list too, Noah.
0: Yeah, certainly. Well, let's start with Aaron Pionk, the fifth rounder this past draft by the Minnesota Wild uh, coming from Waterloo. Um, A Pionk playing for Duluth? Who would have thought, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a great mentorship for him, of course, with his brother Neil and uh, his ability with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Anthony Magni as well coming from the Fargo Force. A lot of good things to say about him as well on the forward side. A, a lot of people that I've talked to that really rave about his ability on both sides of the puck. Matthew Perkins, a centerman for from Youngstown, uh, fourth round pick by Vancouver this past draft as well too. Um, really like that addition uh, from the USHL. Um, there is one more addition coming that um, I got a chance to watch, um, and that is Braden Fisher coming from the Minot Minotauros And Braden Fisher's story is interesting because he actually broke his leg in the first month of the season and came back about a month early uh, and really was able to continue his production. Uh, kind of a hard-nosed, blue-collar Canadian boy. And uh, one of the things that Braden Fisher brings to the table is he's not the tallest guy, but he's got a stocky build. He's a good 200-foot player, lots of skill, and just one of those guys that he's not going to wow you with anything exceptionally, but I think – in terms of what he does, he's consistent in every aspect, and maybe is what I would say above average in terms of his offensive ability and hockey IQ on the offensive side of the puck. A great centerman, a guy that can play in a variety of roles, uh, whether it be top six, middle six, you know, uh, third line guy. I mean, he's he's not a he's not a bottom line guy in my mind. Um, but we'll have to see how they utilize him here and what his opportunity is. And then a couple of transfers as well. Luke Bass, the freshman defenseman from North Dakota is, is of course, in North Dakota had the exodus.
1: That's a type of a- a oh. junior, junior defenseman.
0: Junior I defenseman. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose it'd be kind of difficult to be a freshman transfer, huh? Yeah, but, right. Uh, <laughs> Well, what it's not difficult to be is a defensive transfer from North Dakota, the mass exodus that they had. And uh, let's not forget Scott Sandlin, the former North Dakota product himself, not afraid to pluck from the other side of the Red River Valley. Let's just put it that way. Uh, And then uh, Connor McMenamin, the goaltender graduate from Penn State. Um, Nick, I'm kind of curious, too. Kind of sounds like a couple of guys, too, that maybe we had anticipated might make the jump this
1: season. Uh, Not necessarily on this list, though. Uh, So uh, Zam Plant, again, a a really highly touted. He's an NHL draft pick uh, who is not uh, on the roster. Neither is Jason Shugabee. Again, we know about his time with Warroad. Holy cow, what a guy. And then how about Adam Gagen, right? And uh, you talk about the transfer goaltender. Again, Connor McMenamin coming in from Penn State. That lines up the three goaltenders. So that puts you at Matt Thiessen, Zach Sandy, and then McMenamin as your three goaltenders they'll be carrying. Uh, So Gagen looking to have one more year of seasoning in junior high hockey before, you'll probably get a pretty good look at the starting position uh, coming into twenty four twenty five, 25 uh, just in time for Arizona State to come in <laughs> in the NCHC. But um, yeah, still, and, and why do we mention this, you Noah? Know, I think it's important to look at sometimes the depth of your, well, shall we say, your recruiting profile, right? Because at the end of the day, you talked about... Earlier in terms of coaching uh, and how they essentially last at an organization, right now, part of why some of these coaches and other some of these teams don't have some success is to look at their recruits. Like, look at who they're getting and, and what's their pipeline looking at. Who are they attracting, right? If you have this pretty decent roster that we see, right now, again, a lot of new faces, a lot of youth that's attached to this lineup. A big reason why we have them so low in our predictions, and again. Who knows what's going to happen? Or we have them seven. Who the heck? Maybe they, you know, catch fire and about. Maybe they just, you know, race fire and they go to number one. It's very possible, right? Um, but they have these three names that are highlighting what could be probably more likely for twenty four twenty five. In addition to some of the other recruiting names that we'll see pop up throughout the year. Um, but you know, Noah, going through this, I mean, that's basically what it says is that they're healthy and that this program is still a attracting high level, you know, high level players that are both, you know, recognized in the college world, but also by the pro level. Again, most of these guys are NHL draftees. So again, that to me, that's what that what it symbols to me. Uh, and Noah, know, what do you feel the same that uh, UMD? Yeah, it's a down year last year. Yeah, we have them kind of low, but more because it's more youth than it is talent.
0: Yeah, certainly is. And of course, bringing back a couple of guys on the veteran side, most importantly, Quinn Olson, right? Coming back as a graduate player on the forward side makes a big difference. One of the leading scorers last season. But yeah, you kind of get this feeling, right? You look at, let's count here, one, two, three, four, you know, four freshmen. uh, You've got three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine nine sophomores, Nick. So you know you're underclassmen, you've got 13 on your roster that are underclassmen in some capacity maybe another one you never really know. but I I, I think that you alluded to it perfectly is that this team, is just a little bit young and some of those guys that they hung on for that extra year or maybe extra two years because of the success with national championships with pushes to the frozen four, then all of a sudden they sign pro contracts, they move on to other things. Then you start to see kind of that turnover, but it maybe the puzzle didn't exactly look like you originally had intended. And now you're trying to resupplement that process and redevelop that pipeline, so to speak. Um, but it might be a year where you're going to have a serious amount of growing pains. And that's kind of what we anticipate is Duluth with the opportunities that they have in net for a guy to develop. We haven't seen it as far as the go-to guy right now, just based on what we saw last season. There isn't necessarily, I guess, maybe maybe besides Quinn Olson. On the forward side, Blake Biondi as well, too. There's not not necessarily many guys on the forward side that I would pencil in that you're going to say, yep, they're going to carry the mail, so to speak, uh, for this roster. Ben Steves, I guess, maybe if he has a repeat year in his sophomore season. But, uh, yeah, it's just an interesting time for them in terms of their youthfulness because we've been accustomed to Duluth being that veteran team that is able to kind of ride the waves, that emotional plane. I think it's kind of a changing of the guard and we'll have to see if it really does bring them all the way near the cellar, like we have them predicted or if they can climb out of it and really surprise us.
1: Speaking of which uh, they're going to rely on three uh, of their upperclassmen to, uh, you know, get them back to prominence, right? Captains have already been announced. Luke Lohite is the captain of the Bulldogs for 23-24. Quinn Olson and Dominic James are your assistant captains. So congratulations to those three guys. Uh, Lohide was an assistant captain along with, I believe, uh, Dominic James is also a returning assistant captain. So that looks pretty good. Uh, real quickly, you know, what, let's talk about their schedule, right? Because we talked yeah. about some opportunities that UMD maybe missed out on. And part of that was their non-conference schedule. So we're going to do this very quickly. And then we'll just kind of do a quick recap of what we feel like uh, is in front of them, right? Uh, they open up October 7th. I believe, I'm not sure if it's an officially an exhibition game, but they'll open it up uh, at Ansoil with Michigan Tech. And then the following weekend, the 13th, 14th, uh, they'll also welcome in Northern Michigan. They will do a home-to-home against Bemidji State and then travel to Ithaca, New York to take on Cornell. So already yeah, cool. six games, uh, pretty good competition there. Uh, but then it's the Gophers home and home with the Gophers. Uh, so you talk about on one side, you know, the challenges there um, real quickly here, Noah, uh, the first eight games here, um, you know, there's some opportunity there for the first, maybe four, maybe six games, but then you're hit uh, with a pretty hard nose punch early on. Uh, and in a lot of ways, this is usually good. Even if maybe you lose both, it's going to wake you up pretty quick.
0: Yeah. Gophers get them in uh, North Dakota around the same time too. And, yeah, I, I feel like this Duluth program, I, they, they have a pretty good mix here. I mean, Michigan Tech, Northern Michigan, Bemidji and Cornell are all teams that I would say you have the opportunity to be at least 500, if not a little bit better, odd number of games. So of course, you're not going to likely be exactly 500. The Minnesota challenge is going to be the most interesting test out of that non-conference schedule, but it comes the latest in the non-conference slate before they start some NCHC action. So really, it kind of gives them seven tune-up games, so to speak, to really get ready for that matchup because that's going to be the litmus test for them before they start their actual conference play. That's going to get them geared up to see where they really stand as far as college hockey as a whole and hopefully prepare them for the aforementioned North Dakota Fighting Hawks as their first NCHC opponent. I'm excited for that matchup. I always feel like Duluth, Minnesota, um brings a more interesting mix because when saint cloud plays minnesota or north dakota historically has played minnesota it feels a little bit more wide open a little bit more speed and skill that series against duluth and the gophers usually ends up being a very physical hard and heavy one and the gophers sometimes have a tough time with duluth's blue collar style of play curious to see if that translates over we talked about this with miami last season Skill-wise, be what it may, upperclassmen, underclassmen, be what it may, there's no substitute for effort level and hard work. So if they bring that to the table and bring the physicality, it should be an interesting matchup in the first week of November.
1: Certainly so will be, and then they travel, like you mentioned, um, down to St. Cloud uh, for the first set. Uh, then it's at home against Omaha at Miami, and then part of the uh, towards the end of December here, after a couple of weeks off, part of the quick trip holiday faceoff in Milwaukee at the Five Star Forum. So they'll be uh, battling out with Wisconsin Air Force and Northeastern in yep. that holiday faceoff tournament. So what a fun! What a mix! <laughs> yeah, a bit an interesting mix, but uh, you know, a good way to play some. Hockey, that's meaningful to kind of get you prepped up because it's Colorado College in the second week of January to get things back rolling in the NCHC play. Then it's at Western Michigan, at home versus Miami, at Omaha, and then they come home to play at Denver for the only time this season, head up to North Dakota. They're at Colorado College and then finish, of course, at home against other than the St. Cloud State Huskies. Uh, that always switches back and forth every year. So um, second half, there's some decent competition there, Noah. So that first half is going to be important. And I think that holiday tournament, again, we talk about not only some, I mean, you want the results too, but it's a good way to get back into the groove of things um, after a holiday break to uh, get ready for what's going to be a gauntlet of a second half schedule for the Bulldogs.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. The only time that they see Western Michigan and Denver as far as their single opponents, Denver, of course, at home in Duluth, but that travel to Western Michigan, you really don't ever want them on the road in Kalamazoo. That's their second matchup in the second half. So that'll be an interesting one. Colorado College, I'm very curious to see how they handle the Bulldogs. They gave them fits last season. So uh, curious to see how the Tigers do. Of course, we have the Tigers picked higher than the Bulldogs this year. So uh, I guess it's cats over dogs this uh, parent year. Uh, But yeah, the schedule, um, very inviting, very much an NCHC gauntlet style schedule. Uh, As is always, Duluth likes to not make it easy on themselves, but sometimes going through the fire puts them in a very good position when it comes to playoff hockey. Very curious to see if they can push in the top 20 in the country in college hockey um, if we have them predicted where you know we have them, I don't know that they're going to make that mix, but as always, it doesn't really seem to matter a whole lot for Duluth when it comes to postseason action. Very curious to see how the process of this schedule prepares them for playoff hockey, where historically Scott Sandlin has had these Bulldogs at their best.
1: So with that being said, Noah, again, real quickly, last two topics here. Again, the season outlook. Again, we talked about how we have them at seventh, but realistically, if things go well, they could be well above seventh. So although we have them here, what's your actual prediction uh, that could happen with the Bulldogs here for the upcoming season? Yeah, I, I just I feel
0: so wary about the goaltending. There just hasn't been a guy that, I, that you've looked at since, you know, in years past. You mentioned Ryan Fanti, Hunter Shepard, guys like that. There just really hasn't been that go to guy. They're missing that right now. And for me, one of the things, as we mentioned with Scott Sandlin's program, is their defensive structure is good but when it leaks, it pours. And you need a good goaltender behind that to backstop them. They just didn't have that consistency last year. That's what it's really going to come down to. A couple of these freshmen and these transfers, of course, have to produce, all things considered, a very young group, like we mentioned, 13 underclassmen. So they've got to get up to speak quickly. I Sticking to their identity of that hard-nosed, blue-collar style, it's not going to hurt them but I don't know that it's going to be enough, Nick. Like I said, I almost feel like they need to supplement a little bit more offensive risk this season in terms of taking a little bit more offensive chances because defensively, they've been okay, like I said, but with the goaltending question marks and the defensive structure being slightly above average, I just feel like they need a little bit of offensive punch. They need to be able to be that team that, can get into kind of a back and forth barn burner fire wagon style of game and feel comfortable with that. Uh, in addition to playing a sound defensive game that we've been accustomed to, if they're able to do that and have a couple of guys that rise, you know, to the occasion offensively and get better than mediocre goaltending, I think they have a chance to push for fifth or fourth in the conference. I don't see them going any higher than that. I, I think for for them, a home ice spot this season in the NCHC would be a successful year for the Bulldogs based on what I see coming into the season.
1: And our last question, this is kind of a, your question you like to ask. So I'm going to ask you, how does St. Cloud State beat the aforementioned Bulldogs this upcoming year? I
0: have to be overwhelming on the offensive side here, have to be willing to challenge those net minders, filtering pucks towards the next second and third chance opportunities, screens, tips in front and be not being afraid to create opportunities off the rush. Something that St. Cloud historically under Brett Larson has done very well. Guys that are able to drive on the weak side as the first forward crashing into the crease. And then the flat drop pass with the trailing F three coming into the zone or weak side defenseman, uh, sliding in behind f3 if he's filling that middle lane i think that st cloud has an opportunity to make offensive plays by pulling especially some of these younger players on the forward side getting them to dip too low in their own defensive zone and then st cloud is able to open up the top of the offensive zone near the blue line and really activate their defensemen or third forward high and really create opportunities from the slot up top i think that that's where you're really going to find the most success against this bulldogs team i don't know that you're going to out physical them that's one thing that the Bulldogs historically have brought to the table. Again, freshman class have to see what they bring as far as their size and physicality, their adjustment to the college game. But one thing about Scott Sandlin's group is they've always brought the physicality I don't expect that to change. It's going to be a war like it always is between these two teams who have become very familiar foes over the past couple of seasons. Uh, But I think if you can outskill them, you're going to have an opportunity and just getting great goaltending as well. Um, Special teams battle, you have to win that if you're St. Cloud. What do you got on that uh, same front, Nick? Is it going to come down to a special teams battle or is it all about the overall process for the Huskies?
1: I think if you if it comes down to a special teams battle, UMD is beating you five on five. And to me, that's where it comes is for the Huskies. You got to win that five on five battle. And last year, teams were able to do that against Duluth. And again, with goaltending being the question mark, as you mentioned, sometimes it's just a simple game. Uh, St. Cloud State loves to use offense from the blue line. Uh, A lot of times, like you said, it's about just getting pucks through the net with layers, right? You talk about tips. You talk about getting uh, players into that blue paint or around the blue paint to pick up that Lose change if a goaltender can't see it or maybe it gets that first stop of the rebound control isn't to the corners; so he can grab and pick one up. So it's getting inside position on their D and then more so to me just possession, uh, possessing the puck in the offensive zone, right? Uh, one thing Duluth is when we talk about goaltending is when we go back to guys like Scott Prudovich and other defensemen like Wyatt Kaiser who were so good at zone exits right a lot of, when it wasn't just passing too. they they were good at using their feet i don't really see the guy that it has the same skill set to replicate that so if we're able to trap them if you're able to really just wear them down with just possessing the puck and then trying to find uh not necessarily shall we say the perfect shot but a good one to get through and then again just swarm the grease pan as uh dave Shyack would love that to me that's how you beat the squad and then you know, after 45, 60 seconds to lose all they can do is whether it's chip the puck off the glass, uh, you know, whether it's an icing call or just second pier, just relieve pressure, right? That to me is the formula that you can use to beat UMD this upcoming season. And again, with how many was it? 15 or 13 or so underclassmen. uh, There's an opportunity to do that. And I think that's how they would be able to capitalize on a young Bulldog squad.
0: Yeah. You wonder too, obviously with that missing that puck moving defenseman that they really haven't had necessarily in the past couple of years. Will somebody rise to the occasion or are they uh, going to struggle with that? And again, uh, one of the things that I think makes it all the more impressive, their power play success and Ben Steve's what's 12 power play goals in the season. They didn't necessarily have that catalyst running up top on the power play and the umbrella, the one, three, one, the overload, whatever you wanted it to be. You didn't really have that guy that you necessarily said was going to be, you know, the step out running gun guy on the offensive side. So it'll be very, very interesting. Uh, Nick, of course, as we do uh, wishing the Bulldogs, nothing but the best against all those in the NCHC, except, of course, our St. Cloud State Huskies. Nick, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that the Huskies Warming House podcast is brought to you by the Soda Pond. Stay wild and up to date with all things in the state of hockey, as well as centericeview.com and Huskies Illustrated, your home for all things St. Cloud hockey, including the latest news and photos of your favorite Huskies. Actually, a really cool article, by the way, I I took a – screenshot of it, um, and I want to make sure that I have this right, by the way, but I believe I saw an article from Center ISU, by the way, that uh, at 35 years old, I believe, uh, is it Garrett Rowe, I think, is coming back to the States and signing with Hershey. Nothing official yet, but of course, Hershey just winning a Calder Cup, and I believe garrett's i believe it's dad passed away recently and that might trigger a return to the states but at 35 seeing a guy jump back to the ahl it's not something you see every day a former no. uh, player on the u.s uh, national stage would be kind of interesting don't you think
1: it would be and and you talk about you know we talked earlier on the women's side going over to europe right uh one thing that is very difficult for hockey players is when you make that jump over the jump back is I think even a taller mountain to climb and uh, for Garrett Rolf that indeed that report is accurate um, that would be pretty cool because not a lot of players make that jump back to uh, pro level hockey here in the states after going over to Europe uh, a couple of reasons for that uh, you know whether it's you know they want the security of the contract that's out there again you kind of get settled in uh, but for whatever reason that it is and, and it's if it is because uh, some unfortunate news, uh, you know, never want it to be for those circumstances. But if he right. is getting an opportunity to play here in America for some pro level hockey and including the reigning Calder Cup champions, uh, pretty cool story If again. And that indeed is accurate
0: yeah and i had it flipped i apologize i talking about his father his father of course resides uh in virginia so uh, he's kind of a catalyst on the east coast it was uh garrett's mother julie that passed away after a battle with cancer in late june of this year of course like we mentioned uh him and will borgen on the 2018 u.s olympic team as well too so he brings that experience uh this information of course coming from tody andrikaitis of inside ahl hockey and of course coming from CenterIceView.com along with huskies illustrated some great information coming out of both of those websites and uh what bill prout brings to the table for us it's obviously excited to read everything he has it just fantastic coverage as always nick as far as the st cloud state huskies the luth bulldogs the arizona state sun devils anybody else in the nchc anybody in the wcha anything you want to add here for episode
1: 170 No. uh, Again, you know, the the process continues. I mean, it's mid-July, which is just nuts. I mean, it feels like summer just began and we're already, you know, July 4th is already coming past and August is a couple weeks away. I do not. I just, I I can't fathom that right now. I really can't. Yeah. Well, what we can fathom, Nick, is the
0: next couple of weeks, next couple of Mondays, WCHA preview number six, as far as the standings prediction for that. And then, same thing on the men's side in the NCHA the following week to close out the majority of July. We hope you are having a safe and happy summer and enjoying some sun for as much as you can in the Midwest because it doesn't last very long, as it feels no. like. And when it does, it's either, you know, it's either 35 and almost snowy or it's 105 and scorching. There's really no. In between. In between, no. uh, so to speak. But that will do it for episode 170 for Nick Max, and I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. And one-timer come in, they score!
1: Ripped in! A bomb from Perlix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies, a Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! For the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.